This is Our Prisons, The Answer, a monthly show on Justice Radio with your hosts, Catherine Besteman and Leo Hilton. Today, we're talking with Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly, co-hosts of Justice Radio and founders of Reentry Sisters, about issues specific to women who are reentering society after prison. I'm Catherine Besteman, an abolitionist educator at Colby College. My co-host, Leo Hilton, is not able to join the program today. For the past two years, Leo and I have worked together to envision community-based alternatives to our current criminal legal system. This show explores how we keep our communities safe and asks the question, are prisons the answer? We're gonna to start today with some introductions, although many listeners know you both from your Justice Radio show, the show that you co-host. Uh, so Linda Small, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, uh, thank you for having us, Catherine. Um, I am justice impacted myself, and I understand the plight of folks who are reentering. Um, one of the things that struck me the most um, is that women just women are not being supported as they should. So about a, a week before um, I left the prison, I came up with this idea of a community helping women um, in a holistic way, right? So that we're helping families, we're helping women, we're helping communities and building well-being. And part of that it comes from my background as a yoga instructor and my recognition of um, what stress can do to the mind and the body um, and the desperate need women have to be supported um, as they make that transition. I'm also extremely interested in gender justice and making sure that um, women have the resources that they need. Um, and when we think about discrimination in terms of gender, um, it's 10 times worse for women who are incarcerated or formally incarcerated than it is for the average woman. And that, those are what I bring to Reentry Sisters. Um, Mackenzie, how about you? What's, what's your background? Yeah, um, thank you for having us, Catherine. My name is uh, Mackenzie Kelly. I'm actually the program director for Reentry Sisters. I'm also a recovery coach coordinator in Kennebec for Healthy Acadia. I actually started working um, for Maine Prisoner Reentry Network and Augusta Recovery Reentry Center. And the reason why I did that was because I am actually justice impacted myself as well. I was incarcerated for seven years. Um, and when I got out, there really wasn't much for reentry services in the state, especially for women. And I think that that was uh, my approach to that, as well as being able to help other um you know, returning citizens, not just women, but but in general. But I, I did really realize a lack for services for women. So um, that's really the way that I've been involved. Thanks, Mackenzie. Um, Linda, I'm going to swing back to you to ask you to share a little bit more. I really appreciated um, hearing about your background in wellness, but you also have a really powerful background and current life in higher education. Um, would you just share a little bit about that just to situate uh, your current work. Uh, we're going to get to Reentry Sisters in just a minute, but I want them to know a little bit more about you first. 
Oh, thank you, Catherine, for that question. Um, yes, I am actually in a master's program for adult and higher education. And one of the things that um, drove me um, into that was while, while I was incarcerated, the men were getting their college degrees and the women were not. So after about a decade of advocacy work, women began their college education program. I got my undergraduate while I was incarcerated. And then when I transferred, I applied to graduate school. And so it's very important to me. Um, education has transformed my life. And I know what the power of education can do. And I want to make sure that as many women who are incarcerated get access to education and then help them maintain that school as they transition out. Right now, there are so many hurdles to doing that, whether you don't have adequate housing, you don't have access to technology, financial issues. And so I think it's critically important um, that we continue to support women, women's education in general and moving them into career pathways um, that allow them to earn a living wage for themselves and their families. And that's one of the reasons why Mackenzie and I are members of the New England Commission for the Higher Education in Prison, right, down at MIT. Um, and also um, part of my reason for um, applying to Columbia's University Women Transcending Fellowship um, because that targets women's leadership. And I think it's desperately needed that we uplift women, spe uh, specifically justice-impacted women, into positions of power um, where we can change these reentry issues that we are all facing and support one another and uplift one another and use those female voices, I think, that are so critically important to have a seat at the table in the changes that we want to make. I think when I first met you, you were just finishing up your bachelor's degree and contemplating which master's program. And I think you got into a few and had to make some decisions. And it's just been a fantastic thing to watch you really pioneer that journey for other women who are coming behind you, who now have an aspiration of not only receiving a bachelor's degree, but a master's degree as well. Um, and then the other um, project that I'm affiliated with and very proud to say so is the Colby College Justice Think Tank, where um, incarcerated folks and formerly and currently incarcerated people are getting together to make assessments for restorative reentry research and looking at the main criminal code, uh, reentry services, and preventative measures, um, and how that how we might change policymakers' attitudes and bring ideas um, forward. I love that, Linda. Thank you. I think so much of policy around criminal legal reform and incarceration is motivated by fear and by emotion and by sort of, you know, media perpetrated stereotypes about who ends up in our prisons and jails. And policy should be based on empirical research as opposed to emotional, reactionary sort of uh, um, wild uh, imaginations of, of things. So I, I really appreciate you bringing up that point. Let's turn to Reentry Sisters, this amazing organization. Um, Linda, I'm gonna to come to you first and then Mackenzie to you next. Linda, can you can you talk about what, what is Reentry Sisters? Why did you create it? What specifically is your mission and goals for the organization? As I mentioned earlier, I came up with the idea of Reentry Sisters um, while I was still incarcerated. Unfortunately, what I had seen over the years was a continuation of the cycle of women returning to incarceration. And why was that happening? That's due to lack of support and services. 
And so the mission of Reentry Sisters encompasses the day-to-day -day challenges of women coming home from prison and jail, and it helps to empower them to create lives that they desire for themselves, whatever that looks like for each woman, and trying to help her achieve that. Now, that mission sits within the larger vision of Reentry Sisters, which is to create an environment that respects and accepts you know, intersectionality of gender and race and class, ability, whatever those um, pieces are, and to advocate for economic justice, fair treatment of system-impacted women, um, and lasting change to systemic biases. Right? And so I, one of the ways that Reentry Sisters does that is by joining the abolitionist movement, okay? And I, my vision of that is we do that in three ways. So first, we divert women from the criminal legal system through alternative sentencing. And that could be things like the primary caretaker bill, which is um, considers a woman's nature of her position, right? So where she is in the family unit, um, does she have minor children? Perhaps she has elderly parents to care for uh, or a dependent sibling. So we divert women from the system um, in the beginning. And second, we, on the other end, we begin to release people who are no longer a threat to society. And that's through laws, first of all, that we already have, like clemency, age-related, or other compassionate release programs that we simply do not use currently in the state of Maine. And also by passing laws like the parole bill that is currently heading for a vote in the Maine Senate probably in the next week or so. So we begin to safely reduce the prison population for those, and those funds go directly to the third point, which is community, right? So we need to fund our communities to support individuals um, like new moms and families who are struggling with housing, food insecurity, education, mental health, and other issues that drive people into the legal system in order to survive. Right, So we take those millions of dollars that we save from safely reducing the prison population. We build communities of care that have resources. Right, So the cycle begins to feed itself. Millions no longer needed for the carceral system. And that goes into our communities to support families and women, which divert people from going into the system in the first place. And so that's my larger vision of Reentry Sisters' role in Maine. Linda, you are speaking my language. I am part of that choir. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> thoughtful, careful analysis of exactly what we need to do to transform our communities and communities into communities of care rather than destruction and punishment and harm. I really, really appreciate hearing that. And I'm going to put in just a little plug here, which is the three-part series that Leo and I co-authored called A Restorative Pathway to Decarceration and Abolition, uh, where we talk about how to divert people from the system in the first place, how to create a culture inside of our prison facilities that is restorative rather than punitive, and then how to build a restorative, uh, safe pathway to reentry back into society after people have served their time in prison. And that is available by download through the Freedom and Captivity website at freedomandcaptivity.org. So Mackenzie, 
When Lind called to ask you if you would join her in creating Reentry Sisters, what was your initial reaction? Why did you say yes initially, or did you have to think about it? And I know that you ultimately said yes because now you're involved in it. What made you say yes? I think yes. I definitely said yes automatically. I mean, she definitely, you know, kind of gave this broad overview of what her intentions were behind the program. And I knew automatically that it was something that was needed, right? Um, I had actually been involved with Maine Prisoner Reentry Network prior to Linda and I speaking. And I also was involved with MPRN while I was still incarcerated. Never in my mind did I realize that women were not part of that program. You know, so so if if we needed something um, for the women, then that was not available. You know, we could have that amount of community, but the resources were just not there. So um, what what were the programs that were available to us were only given by our caseworkers, and so. When I got out, it, it was probably a couple weeks after my release. And I was like, oh my God, this is such a great idea because the community for me was really lacking. And this sounds a little weird, but like when I was in, we have all these people that are surrounding us, all this support, you know, and I had a good family to get out to when, when I got home, but none of them understood what it felt like to be incarcerated and what it felt like to get out of incarceration, right? So I'm in recovery from drugs. I've, I've been in recovery for five years. And I also feel like there's a recovery from incarceration. <clears throat> and I remember going into the gym with my father, right? Who is extremely supportive of me. And I was like surrounded by all these people. And I'm like, dad, I got to go. And he's like, what? Just don't pay any attention to him. And I said, that's easy for you to say. You didn't just spend seven years in prison. And he was like, all right, you know, and I left. But it took the women that were supportive of me and the other, you know, well, men and women th that were supportive of me and who had been in my shoes and had been incarcerated for me to feel like, all right, I can make it and show them that they're loved that there is support out there for them and that we can offer, um, you know, all the knowledge, you know, about uh, reentry services and um, things of that nature, you know, because these things are at our fingertips, right? We might not be able to offer the services, but we know right where they are. And that's important because I think sometimes we don't even know where to turn when we get out. You know, life doesn't even feel like life anymore. It's just completely different. So it's its own separate transition. Oh, I couldn't agree Thank more. Thank you for that answer. This is Justice Radio. And today we're talking with Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly, the co-founders of Reentry Sisters, an organization dedicated to supporting women who are reentering society after time in prison. So Mackenzie, what you were just talking about was what some people refer to as post-incarceration syndrome, that incarcer being incarcerated is traumatizing and that akin to PTSD, um, there is a PTSD associated with being in prison and with the actual moment of release when you're re-entering society and, uh, and the syndrome um, 
that in and of itself is also traumatizing. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the reentry issues specific to women. Your organization is specific to women. You have talked quite a bit about what is unique to women, what is the gendered experience of incarceration and reentry. And your organization is, of course, a gender sensitive organization. Your organization is all about gender justice. I'm wondering if you can articulate that, spell that out for our listeners who may not understand what is unique to a woman's experience of being incarcerated and reentering society. Linda, I'm going to come to you first. The abolition of attitudes towards justice-impacted women, right? Not only reducing the harm that incarceration causes women and their families, but also the harmful attitudes and beliefs when women come home, right? Women carry this unique stigma um, in the role of mother, nurturer, caregiver. And so when a woman becomes entangled in the criminal legal system, uh, she falls under this stigma of being like a bad mother, a bad daughter, or a bad friend uh, for abandoning her family and her community in a way that does not happen with men, right? It's as if she left intentionally and she let her family down, her community down, and society for not fulfilling her social roles, right? And that leads to deeper feelings of personal failure and shame, right? And that can even carry into our uh, partner relationships, our intimate partner relationships as well, um, which I'll let Mackenzie talk to in about a minute. But basically what happens when a woman goes to prison, her role and her duties are divided up between various family members, sometimes extended family members. So she's incarcerated, she returns and even within the family unit, there's an attitude that, well, you've had this break from your responsibilities. So guess what? Here you go. You are primary caretaker of your children. You are head of household. You have to get a job. You have to support yourself and your family. Um, you are now nurturing your elderly parents, and you are the one who's responsible for holding that family unit together again. On top of what Mackenzie already mentioned is the trauma of transitioning from the incarcerated state in the first place. And so women's roles uh, carry a much heavier burden um, with social roles and attitudes and norms in our society. Um, and it is an incredible weight on top of a woman. And so um, I'm gonna turn it over to you, Mackenzie, um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about um, your personal situation and what's going on and what that feels like for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you for what you said, Linda, because I think that is super, very important um, to recognize that it is traumatic going into prison and it's felt even more traumatic when I got out. Uh, and like I said previous, I, I had no idea how to live. And um, I do think that there's a lot of pressure uh, put on us, you know, to assume our roles as well as the services that are actually offered for us, um, not only while we're in prison, but when we get out of prison. 
Um, there are two reentry homes that I know of here in the state, and one being Courage House, which is all men, and then one who has transitioned over to reentry housing, kind of like sober living, which is a, a hand up in, in Lewiston. But, but most of these services are really wrapped around men. And there really is um, a, a gender difference in, in how we handle, um, you know, men and women in, in recovery and reentry. And I think that has a lot to do with the family dynamic and what, um, what our, quote, roles are. Right. And, and I'd hate, I, I do hate to say like, you know, it's a, you know, societal issue, if you will, about the roles that we've placed on ourselves. But uh, the one thing that we do get a lot of is say parenting classes and men don't get as many parenting classes. From my knowledge, that is the only thing that we get more of being a woman. Thank you both. Uh, that's, that's I think, incredibly helpful to think about um, the gender dimensions of incarceration and the ways in which women's experiences and the particularities of being a woman, um, both facing incarceration and then and then re-entering, uh, perhaps get buried in the larger, uh, both re-entry landscape, but also understanding about the challenges of re-entry that people face more broadly. We have a, a few dozen women who re-enter from prison every single year. That's not a lot. We don't have a lot of incarcerated women in Maine, um, something over 100, between 100 and 150, I think, um, with a few dozen reentering every year. It seems to me that it should not be hard to provide a supportive re pathway to restorative reentry for the few dozen women who leave prison every year in Maine. And yet it has proven to be very hard, which is why your organization exists. So Linda, I'm gonna come back to you and I'm gonna ask you what should re-entry for women look like in Maine? What would be the ideal way to support women leaving prison to ensure a healthy, successful, restorative, um, safe re-entry plan for uh, women in particular? Yeah, great question, Catherine, thank you. Um, you know, if I had my dream, the reentry process would create a, a, a safe haven for women when they first release, and that could take many forms. Um, I'm thinking something along the lines of a of a retreat um, in nature, where because nature is healing. You've been around concrete and steel and slamming doors, um, and that type of environment just continues to um, induce PTSD symptoms. So you need to remove yourself completely from that for a period of time. When you're in nature, you feel safe. You are among other women who are going through the same thing that you are. Um, and you create that space in a natural setting. And perhaps you spend your days um, hiking, boating, um, communing with nature in whichever way you wish, adding things like meditation and yoga and a healthy diet. And then at night, you gather as a group around a fire. And that's when you begin to have talking circles and healing circles, where you're processing just the fact that you have been incarcerated. 
and to lift that weight, to begin to lift that weight off the shoulders and the hearts and the minds of women to begin with, so that they have solid footing so that the next step would be as you enter your community to use the immigration model where you within your community, you have four or five people, whether that's families, faith based or whatever the case may be, where they are your wraparound support network. So you move from a safe haven to begin the process of trauma. You move into your community of choice where you have people who are there to care for you, who are there to listen to you and support you as you begin to transition into whatever housing situation works for you um, to make sure that you're heading in the right direction for whatever your educational and career path is and to have folks that will just talk to you and listen to you and treat you like a human being because you have been dehumanized for so long that we internalize that dehumanization and it impacts every single part of your being and your life. And you literally need to be deprogrammed from the carceral state into how to live in community with your fellow human beings. And that's my vision for the future. I love hearing that, Linda. You know, one of the things that we often hear from people is, why should people coming out of prison get any services or any attention or any trauma healing at all, right? They did something that landed them in the prison in the first place and prison should be a place of punishment and not mm -hmm. of healing or repair or restoration. And what drives me around the bend about that sort of argument is the complete inability to acknowledge that people who go to prison, 98% of them come back to our communities. The short-sightedness of wanting to pile on punitiveness after punitiveness is both cruel and also profoundly anti-community. And I just don't understand it. Sorry, I would add one other thing to what you just said about looking at the root causes of why the vast majority of women are incarcerated in the first place, right? And for me, in knowing hundreds of women uh, formally and currently incarcerated. It is all about relationships for women. And most of the women who become incarcerated um, were in a relationship that was unhealthy, that led them to do things that they ordinarily wouldn't have done. And also it begins with relationships early on in life. Most of the women arrive right with um, childhood trauma, that has continued to build up because as a child, you don't know how to process that. And so then you perpetuate that and cycle that through your adult relationships. And that leads into more trauma and leads you down the wrong path. And perhaps you seek, um, you don't have the right coping skills. So maybe you move in the wrong direction with your coping skills. But the vast majority of women who arrive, who are incarcerated, it is a relational issue. There is no um, intent of harm or malice in these um, events that generally happen with women who are incarcerated. They are victims of circumstances for the most part. And one of the other reasons I, I think that uh, there's a miscommunication out there, a misnomer out there, vast majority of women who are incarcerated are victims themselves. And we fail to acknowledge that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we should be reaching out to these women. In many cases, they are not the perpetrator. Uh, they ended up in a bad situation where they were trying to survive. 
Thanks. By the DOC's own statistics, 90% of incarcerated women in Maine are survivor victims. And that is an important point to remember. Unfortunately, we're at time. Thank you so much, Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly for talking with us today. Next week, please join Marian Anderson for Voices of the Directly Impacted on Justice Radio. With thanks to bluesman Samuel James for his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series, and to Lucas Brown, our sound engineer, we are Justice Radio. Thank you.